Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Wow. Thanks, Karen. That is awesome. And I believe that God is using that message, wants to take that message and use it today to speak to your hearts. Uh, you know, we are, we are very fortunate people. Most of us here have heard the gospel over and over and over and over and over and over again. And that's great, but not everybody has. Not everybody around you has. And uh, I really encourage you, invite friends and bring them to church or bring them to your home and invite them in and tell them your story. Uh, and I think that is so important. I love that. Thanks, Karen. If you have your Bibles today, take them and turn to Ecclesiastes real quick. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Ecclesiastes 2, as we wrap up this uh, Summer Splash series, and we, I've been preaching out of Ecclesiastes throughout different things, and I want to talk about some things that really go hand in hand with what Karen just said, and I haven't heard what she was going to say. I didn't know what she was going to say, but the Holy Spirit knows, and he's working these things out. But uh, I want you to, to look at some things with me. And, and in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and I, I uh, shared some of this with the youth this morning, but uh, the, the fact is, is that Solomon is teaching. Solomon is the one who writes this. Solomon is the king of Israel. Solomon had been uh, king for a long time by the time this is written. He is the richest guy that's ever lived on the face of the earth, before him and after him. He's probably the richest person that ever lived. Has more given more stuff than you know than you can even imagine. Ha- has wealth beyond our wildest imagination. Makes Bill Gates look like he's just getting started. Uh, the, Solomon is unbelievably wealthy. Anything he wants to do, he does. He talks about that in these scriptures. How he he uh, he tries laughter. He tries just uh, goofing off and having fun. He, he builds great projects. He builds homes. He he buys slaves. He he has other slaves born into his home. He, he tries uh, uh, building a harem and, and, and sexual uh, pleasure and all these things. And he comes to a point where he says, I denied myself nothing in verse 10. Uh, my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet, he goes on, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. We know that deep inside our hearts, everything that we do, we, we, we do it, 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 we do it. We think, oh, this is going to be it. We try something else, we do that, and that's going to be it. And, and finally we go, you know, it all just seems so meaningless. It seems like it has no meaning to it. It's all just meaningless. He said, then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom, verse 12, and also madness and folly. And what more can the king's successors do than what has already been done? And I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man had his eyes in his head while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes both of them. And if you go down to like verse 17, uh, he said, so I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. And all of it's meaningless. it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because, and here's his reason, because I must leave them to one who comes after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the work 
into which I poured my effort and skill under the sun. And he said, and this is meaningless. Then down in verse 26, to the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And what he's saying is is that we we can accumulate, accumulate, build up, have everything that we think is, is so important. And at the end of all of that, when we die, we have to hand it all over. Someone else takes it. And there's no meaning to those things that we have chased after that we can't take with us. We end up leaving it right here. This week as I was in my house, I heard noise and I looked out and my neighbors, I knew this was coming, my neighbor to the west side of me, their house was being auctioned off along with all their stuff. There was an auction going on. They were taking everything that had been accumulated and breaking it up and it was going here and there and everything was gone. Everything he'd worked for was being sold off and there was nothing going to be left. On August 6th, 1945 at 8 o'clock a.m., Hiroshima, Japan was a thriving industrial city of about 340,000 people. They rested that time of day. Not much happening. Life had gone on the same for many years. All the people there had the same dreams and ambitions that they'd had for years. People had families who loved them in that city and other places. They were 340,000 people who dreamed of a future. They were 340,000 people, all who assumed life would go on as normal. They were a people just like us who had no idea what lie ahead for them. And then at 8.15 a.m. on that same morning, the United States of America dropped the first atom bomb out of an airplane, and it detonated at 1,100 feet above the surface of Hiroshima, Japan. And the explosion that took place wiped out a 4.7-mile square area in that city, and instantly 80,000 people died. You think about that for just a moment. 80,000 people were there one moment, and the next were gone. What seemed so stable, what seemed so normal, what seemed like it would go on forever was gone, leaving us to ask the question, what's the point of existing at all? Everything they owned and believed in, everything that they live for here on this earth was wiped out instantly. The only thing that would go with them was what they believed in their heart, what they believed about Jesus. And you and I can seem to have everything, the big house, the cars, the great family, great friends and great job, big bank account, and in an instant it can all be taken away from us. You go to the doctor and you hear these words, I'm sorry, but you have cancer You're driving down the road and everything seems fine. You're in your car and everything's fine and someone hits you from the side and suddenly life is no more. You get on a boat in Missouri on a, just take a cruise and nine of your family members don't come back. You have a heart attack and you never know what hits you. And if that happens, it leaves life totally meaningless if our life is just about the things which are temporary and which can be destroyed. And I fear that most people live for those things alone. I've sat with people who have lost their family, a child, a spouse, and they ask, why go on? 
Why, why keep trying life? Life is now meaningless. Their hopes, their dreams, their future, their plans, their joy, all are gone like a puff of smoke, shattered by the loss of the one or the things that gave meaning to their life. And so like the writer of Ecclesiastes, we have to, who, who may have, we have worked for everything and had everything, and yet you and I can seem to have nothing. Or we can seem to have everything, but if we die, if it can rot or break, if we cannot take it with us when we die, it disappears like a puff of smoke. And the only things that give meaning to life are things that last forever. And here's the deal. I want to touch on something that Karen was saying. She said it very well. Every one of us has a story to tell. Every one of us is living life and have a story that belongs to us. Every one of us have things we value. Every one of us have people who we love and who have influenced us. Every one of us have people who raised us. We can all talk of our experiences, experiences in school, maybe in Sunday school or in Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts and cheerleading. And all the experiences and people who make up our story, they're woven together to make our story and what we believe in and how we see life and the future and eternity and what we choose to do with our history, what we choose to do with that story will determine the direction of our lives both here on earth and when we go into eternity. And here's the other news that goes along with it, and this is the more serious part for me. It will also determine the direction and outcome of our children's lives and our grandchildren's lives, and according to the Scripture, our great-grandchildren's lives. See, the Bible teaches that sin and decisions of the parent affect the offspring for three generations. That's what it says. And so that means that your choice of what you do with your story, what you do with the stuff that your life is made out of, what you do with this life that God has given to you, what you base value of your life on will matter as it affects your legacy for generation after generation after generation after generation going out. What is happening in our United States right now is a reaping of what had taken place generations before. This is not just on the millennials, or on the busters or the boomers. It goes back. Now, I'm not trying to point fingers back and say, well, it's not my fault. Of course, we take responsibility. But I'm telling you that what you're doing right now with your life and what the things that God's given to you will matter in the generations to come. And that means that the choices and the directions we are going to take today in America in our lives are going to matter and have effect for at least three, three generations and beyond. Think about this. Literally, the choices that you make with your life today matter for a long time. So the question is not, do I have a story? But instead is, what story am I choosing to live and tell? Do I have a, do I have a story to tell that has meaning to it, that can give meaning to life? Will I tell the story of brokenness and hurt and a story of meaninglessness? Or will I tell a story of making life about me? Or will I tell a story of being a victim? Or will the story be one of leisure and prosperity and comfort, of pleasing myself? Or will I tell the story of hope and transformation and peace with God and others and finally with myself? Because you know what? I know a lot of people who seem to have settled all those other things and are struggling with peace with themselves. Part of the deal is we've got to come to a place of having peace with us 
Will I leave a legacy, a story that will be a story with purpose and meaning that will impact generations to come? And finally, my forever. I hope in my life, my plan, my, my biggest desire right now is to tell the story of hope and transfer, transformation and peace with God. I hope that my children know that about me. I hope that my grandchildren can say someday that Papa knew Jesus. I hope that my great-grandchildren someday will say, that old guy, I don't know what his name is, but he knew Jesus. But to do so, my story had to be changed someplace. So the big question is, how do we change our story? How do we change our story? See, a lot of us are walking around here thinking, well, I'm just going to heaven and it's all about me. And you're wrong. It's not about you. It's not just about you. You're affecting everyone around you. How do we change our lives from a life of damage and brokenness? Because I hear that all the time. Everybody's talking about how, oh, I, my parents did this to me, and oh, my grandparents, and oh, I had, a, I had someone attack me here, and I, I, this happened to me over there, and the victim, the victim, the victim, the victim. I'm so tired of hearing about the victim. I know that's real. Don't get me wrong. I'm not putting it down. But I believe in a God who changes us and who, who takes care of those things. How do I change so that I'm not living the life of a victim? Does having things take care of that? And the answer is no. I see people who have everything still sitting there crying and saying, but my dad did this to me. How do I change from just pursuing things that will not last? How do I find real meaning and purpose in life? How can we, at the end of our days, leave this earth and leave behind a legacy of meaningful existence? And how do I take that meaningful existence into the next life? Paul's writing to the Romans, and it's one of my favorite letters in the New Testament, and he's writing this letter, and as he writes, he's concerned with this idea of meaningful existence. He's writing to a group of people who, whose lives probably had every bit as much trouble as yours. He's writing to people that probably got abused. He's writing to people who probably got taken advantage of. He's writing to people who have been, their lives have just been, you know, difficult at best. And if you look in chapter 11, Paul is writing concerning both Jews and Gentiles. He's not writing to one or the other. He's writing to both. And he says, you're all accepted by God. Every one of you right now, you've got to understand, God accepts you. He loves you. He wants you in his life. And he says that the Jews and the Gentiles, you all have access to God because of his great mercy. It's not because of you. It's not what you have done or haven't done. It doesn't matter if you've been a victim or you've just been blessed all the time. God wants you to be a part of his life. And he's given his son Jesus. His great mercy is what redeems you. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross, not because of what you did and what you are or where you came from. Or, or because you did something right or somebody else did something wrong to you. In other words, God has provided the way for our lives to have meaning. That's the whole thing he's saying. And by access to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, your life can have meaning. So how do you appropriate that into your life? What do you got to do to know that that's part of your life? And Paul gives us the answer. He follows up that statement of faith with therefore. And I love the word therefore in the Bible. And then you see the word therefore, you need to look it up and find out what it's there for. And it says this in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer 
your lives, your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And some of you just went back to sleep because you said, oh, I've heard that before. But I want to ask you to wake up and to hear me today. Because I really believe what I'm saying is so important to all of us. You've been accepted by God due to Jesus Christ's mercy. You can make a choice to receive that free gift or you can turn it down. You can appropriate the mercy of God into your life and it will take care of all the things going on into your life. And it will change your story. And that and that alone will give your life meaning. Anything else that you take into your life will not, will not give your life meaning. It may be fun for a season. You may enjoy some things. I love having the fun of going out and and riding the motorcycle. But I'm going to tell you something. Harley-Davidson will not save me. It, in fact, costs me most of the time. But Jesus Christ will save me. He will change my life. He gives my life meaning. It will allow me, and it has allowed me, to overcome brokenness and damage and messes that have been my story. I've heard, I, I, I came to realize recently that something that I'm hearing, and that is, is that most people have messes in their life. Most people got treated wrong somewhere along the way. Most people had someone who did something to them, and they made a decision. They chose. Someplace along the way, they said, I'm not going to live like that. And they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and He has changed them, and they are not the same anymore. They have been made different. And if we will allow that to overcome all the brokenness and damage and mess in our lives, He will save us. He will make our lives new, and He will allow us to live so that you can pass on a legacy of love. You can pass on a legacy of forgiveness. You can pass on a legacy of hope and joy and peace and patience to all those you influence. And you're influencing a lot more people than you know. At work, at home, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. Paul says we make this choice by offering, presenting our life to God as a living or live sacrifice. Let me talk about what that means real briefly here. It means that I simply offer my life, my everyday life, including work and play, and marriage, and lovemaking, and kid discipline, and yard mowing, and neighbor loving, and going to bed and getting up, and eating life to God. Put him in charge of my life over every single aspect of it. In fact, Paul calls our laying our life at Jesus' feet the best act of worship possible. In fact, he says that's the only thing that's reasonable. If you want to believe that Jesus Christ did what he said, then the only thing that you can reasonably do is take your body, your life, and give it to him while it's alive and say, use it. Use it. So worship is not just what we do on Sunday morning when we sing and pray. In fact, worship is what we do all week long when we're at work. Some of you work in tough situations, and you work with a good attitude, and you work as unto the Lord, and people are watching you, and you're worshiping God while you're doing it. And some of you work in fun situations, and God is there with you, and you are blessing other people, and you are worshiping Him. Worship is what you do all week. Worship is also what we do here on Sunday as we celebrate the fact that we get 
included in what God has done. Worship is celebrating that my life has great meaning, that I am not meaningless, that I have a purpose for being here on earth, and it's not just to accumulate stuff that I'm going to pass on to my kids. Praise God for that, because I'm not going to give them much. Worship is all week long as I live out what Jesus asked me to do and as I live out that sacrifice saying yes to him, saying yes to him, saying yes to him, saying yes to him. You know, someone comes in here and they need something and it's so easy for us to look around and go, oh, I wish somebody else would do this. I don't want to have to mess with this. But worship is sometimes getting in your car and taking that person and taking them across town to the place they need to go when you know full well that you're never getting anything out of that. But you do it anyway. Worship is what you do at your house when your neighbors are irritating and you love them instead of going over there and giving them what they deserve. Amen? When all of life shakes and rattles and rolls and when I'm told that there's a threat to my life here on earth, when I walk into that doctor's office and I hear those words, I'm so thankful that the things that really matter in my life are untouchable. They're untouchable. Because no matter what happens to this old body, and this body doesn't look like it did when I first moved here. I, I see those pictures. My hair is getting thinner and I'm getting fatter. I don't know what's going on there. But anyway, this old body is finished. My soul. It is well with my soul. And it is right with the Lord. And I will be with Him. And I will be with Him forever. And no matter what happens to this old body, when I think about it, I have told my children about Jesus. Oh, they have to make the choice. But they can never say, I didn't get anything from my dad because I told him about Jesus. I showed him the way. And someday, little Ellie and Olivia and John Robert are going to have to say, Papa, he was about Jesus. They can't say. And nothing can ever stop that. Nothing can ever change that. I don't care what government comes in here. I don't care if the Democrats are in charge or the Republicans are in charge or something else is in charge. No one, no thing can touch my sacrifice. Nothing. Jesus was finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. And let me back up and say something here real quick. I, I, I found, there's a scripture that I love that goes with that. I want to give this to you. The life which I have given fully to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, according to Colossians 3.3, is hidden with him. It's hidden with him. See, that's how I know this. It's hidden with him. It's, it's in his hands. Nothing the world does can touch that. Jesus is finishing up the mount, a Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7.21 and He's been talking about the life of what it means to be in the kingdom, and it's totally what that's about. And when you read it, it, a lot of it doesn't make sense. He says things like turning the other cheek and giving them your cloak too and, and uh, loving them as your, neighbor, uh, as your neighbor as yourself. And I mean, there's just all this crazy talk that Jesus gives us in there. It's kingdom talk and makes no sense to the world. The world looks on and laughs and says, well, that's ridiculous. As a Christian, though, you begin to hear it and you go, oh, I see what he's doing here. That's kingdom talk. That's, that's what it's about. That's what makes the world meaningful. That's what gives life meaning and purpose. And he gets to the end of that Sermon on the Mount, and he's been talking about that, and he tells a little story, and he says this in this story. He said, there's a man 
who went out and built him a new house. And he, he, he procured the, the materials to build it, and he went out to the beach, and he built his house on the sand. He built down a foundation and began to raise it up. And when he got finished, it looked great, and he moved in. And then the storms of life begin to hit against that and pound on that house. And the foundation was washed away and the house collapsed and fell. And why did it fall? Because it was built on the wrong things. Because he had built it on the wrong things. So many people are building your foundation is the wrong things. You're building on top of things that will not last. It just takes one tornado, one fire. One bad diagnosis for it to be gone. But then he went on and he said there was another man who went and he procured the materials to build him a new house. And he went out and he, he built in the same place and he dug down deep. He kept digging and he kept digging until he finally hit the rock solid foundation of the stone, the rock that builds that's underneath there. And he began to build from that point up. And it was built on the solid rock and he finished the house and it was beautiful and he moved in and guess what? Storms pounded on that house. Because I'm going to tell you something right now, no matter who you are and what you are, you're going to have storms hit you like crazy. They're coming after you. You don't believe that right now. Your family's all together. Everybody's together. One of these days, they're not going to be. You have all kinds of money in the bank today. Nobody can promise you that for tomorrow. Things happen. You're healthy right now, but no, no telling where you'll be in a week, in a month, in a year. And so the storms of life are going to come and they came and they pounded against this house and they pounded against this house and they pounded against it. But the Bible says, Jesus says, that it withstood that. That it withstood that. I think about our marriages. I think about our relationships with our kids. If we build our relationships, our marriage on stuff and on fun and on doing activities, when those activities end, if all that you've built your house upon is the activities of life, when those end, your marriage is going to end with them. If you've built your marriage or you've built your, your relationship with your children on what they do, when the end of that doing comes, and it will, if all you ever have done with them is play ball, they'll quit playing someday. And when they do, you'll have nothing. The foundation will collapse and you will go, what do I do now? I don't have a relationship with my children. And I hear people tell me all the time, I don't know what to do. But if you've built that house, that marriage on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, if you've built your life on that solid rock, if you have built your relationship with your children on that solid rock, it doesn't matter what comes against it. It can keep coming and it'll keep coming. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he loves you. Man, he loves you. And he gives meaning to life. He is the meaning to your life. Period. There is no other meaning. All the other stuff is just stuff. Not against stuff. Don't go home and say, Pastor Mark's against stuff now. It's not what I said. If you don't want your stuff, call me. I'll help you with it. Because I know where my life is, and it's not about stuff. It's about Jesus Christ. My life is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, and the rest of it doesn't matter. Amen. Come on up here, Nathan, and we're going to just uh, finish up as we do. We'll worship at the end here. I like doing that. I don't know if anybody has anything you want to pray about today or not.
I've given you what I believe God has said to me, and I have a feeling there may be some of you in your marriages, in your relationship with your children, in your life in general, whatever. You just need to say, you know what? I need to take care of some business. And you're welcome to come and do that. And I'll do it with you. I'll pray with you. You may not want to do that at all. We may just worship and go home. And that's fine too. Thank you for being here. Man, it's good to be together. I need it today. I really need it today. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us right now. Thank you, Lord, for your presence, for your sweet presence that's moving in this place right now, for the fact that you're speaking to my heart, for the fact that right now your presence is moving in this room and you're speaking to individuals. I know, the Lord, that uh, there's a lot better preachers in the world and there's a lot better teachers in the world and, God, all that stuff could do that much better, but, God, I believe your Holy Spirit is the same here as it is anywhere and that right now you're speaking to people. And so I ask God right now that if you would do it, walk amongst the pews, go to individual hearts, lay your hand upon them. If there's anyone who needs to pray, give them the courage to stand up and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of business. Don't let us go another day with our meaningless existence, doing our own thing. Help us, Lord Jesus, right now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. If anybody would like to pray, the altars are open for you to come.